0: This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. And who knew that Politico had a reporter that focuses primarily on cannabis? Natalie Ferdig is joining us here in our studios. And first, let me ask you why Politico decided to give you this beat.
1: Well, Politico saw the writing on the wall with all of the state legalizations that have been happening. We're up to 11 states now that have some form of legal adult use or recreational cannabis and then 37 states have medical marijuana so that means that the federal government is going to have to start getting involved soon um and it it actually was perfect timing right after we started this vertical just the first month um the safe banking act was moving in the house of representatives so we hit the ground running it was absolutely perfect timing um with the beginning of it
0: Well, we thank you for joining us here on our C-SPAN radio studios. And let me ask you first about you, your own background. I know you grew up in Washington State, went to graduate school in New York City, and why this is an area of interest.
1: I've been covering politics since I graduated. And first I was doing the elections, then I was doing um, sort of enterprise policy reporting, and I really fell into reporting on cannabis. It was kind of an accident. I was going home to Washington State for a vacation. And my boss said, hey, why don't you find a, a weed story while you're out there? Your state has legal cannabis. And being the policy reporter, um, I think he expected me to find some sort of funny cannabis story. But I went out and found farmers who wanted to grow organic marijuana, but couldn't because the uh, USDA is what monitors the word organic. So they were growing organically, but could not use the word organic. And it became this policy story about the differences between the state and federal governments, and it was very fascinating to me. I didn't think it was actually going to become a beat at that point, but I I would do those stories every once in a while when I when I came across them. It was sort of an interest in in the back of my head this kind of cannabis policy uh, line, and and then the place that I worked said, "Hey, why don't you cover this full time?" I said, "Honestly, I'm not sure that I want to cover it full time, but I'll do more stories." for you. But then series of events, I ended up freelancing. It was a great way to freelance. Everyone wanted cannabis stories, and, and I fell in love with the beat and the weird political juxtapositions of having something totally legal on the state level and totally illegal on the federal level and how that policy comes together.
0: And it's fascinating because it is one of those issues that unless you are directly involved in it, it it's very much under the radar. But it's a big business.
1: It is. It's one of the fastest growing businesses in the United States. And when you factor hemp into that as well, I think it's one of the top agricultural uh, products in the United States.
0: I want to ask you about how all of this is unfolding on Capitol Hill, but the issue itself, because when I was growing up, if you had weed, you could go to jail. It was a criminal offense. So explain the arc of where we were and where we are today.
1: Well, you still can go to jail for weed. Um, A a lot of states still prosecute people that possess weed, even in minor amounts. I mean, even, um, you know, New York State, for example, uh, has decriminalized weed, but that still just means, or New York City has decriminalized weed. New York State still has rules on the books for if you are caught with adult-use cannabis or recreational cannabis, not medical marijuana. Um, So there's a majority of states in the nation... 39, to be exact, do not have legal adult use marijuana still to this day. Um, and you can go to jail for that. But the the mentality really has changed. Um, I mean, polling has shown that it's gone from in the 20% to in the 60 and 70 percents in terms of public accepting the public accepting especially medical marijuana but also recreational marijuana. Um, I think a, a recent... Politico just did some polling that showed that it was, I think, 67% of the population. That's 45% of Republicans are in favor of legalizing marijuana, which is a pretty huge amount of Republicans. When we think of this as a primarily Democrat issue, almost almost half of Republicans are also on board with this. I was talking to a pollster and they said that this is one of the biggest changes they've seen in public sentiment since gay marriage or gay marriage and marijuana are two of the biggest they've ever seen in terms of polling just how quickly the public's perception of marijuana has changed and how quickly the public has gotten on board with the legalization of it
0: it's fascinating. Let me remind our listeners that we're talking with Natalie Ferdig. She covers the cannabis issue for Politico, and you have a website that chronicles all of the work that you and your colleagues do on this issue at Politico.com slash cannabis. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we do. We have a, a cannabis vertical. We have the the Politico Pro vertical, and then we also have a lot of our content is also on Politico.com, um, the cannabis website, and Politico magazine also does a lot of cannabis reporting. Um, It's just such a a fascinating policy space. And there's not a lot of people covering it from a policy perspective right now that we've kind of found this to be a niche that we really like and is doing really well also.
0: When we talk to governors, uh, they're often the first to say that uh, states are the, the, the laboratory of democracy. So based on that, what states are leading the way on this issue?
1: Well, Colorado and Washington State were the first two to legalize. Uh, recreational marijuana back in 2012 but I would say that at this point the states we look at the most are California because it's the largest economy in the country it's the third largest economy in the world on its own so the fact that cannabis is now legal there as an economy is has a huge impact on not only the United States but also the international cannabis world And we still do look to Colorado as well um, because of some of the ways that they developed their laws. They've set precedences for other states that other states have copied. And Illinois was really special. Um, It was the 11th state to legalize, and it did so through its legislature. So now states that are approaching this from the legislature perspective instead of as a ballot measure where the, the residents of the state vote for it on the ballot those states are looking to Illinois. So there's sort of different states to look to for for different parts of this process.
0: Well, let me ask you about Colorado in particular, because this is uh, a product that is then taxed, generating revenue for the state. Yeah,
1: it is. Um, I mean, every state has has their own tax structure with this, whether they're being taxed before sale or after sale, um, and then where those taxes go. So in Colorado and in Washington state, there were a lot of promises made about taxes going to law enforcement or to um education um anecdotally i, I actually know a, um a policeman that married someone that i grew up with back in washington state and when i was home he was just chatting with me about things that his police department had bought with the marijuana tax revenue and that was kind of bringing him into a place where he was was for the whole situation and that was interesting to me what an irony Yeah. uh, So um, but then places like California have seen a lot less tax revenue than they than they expected. And that was partially due to the continued prevalence of the illicit market in Los Angeles and Los Angeles County specifically. So some states saw a really big boom. I mean, Colorado, especially being the first state, not only saw a tax boom, it also saw a tourism boom. But California has not seen the revenue that it expected. It actually was only about a third of what the projections were because it hasn't dealt yet with its illicit market.
0: So explain to me how you can differentiate medicinal marijuana versus recreational use.
1: It's complicated. Primarily, I mean, especially as Politico in that we cover politics, our designations are the way that the politics is written, the ways that the law are written, the laws are written. Some states like California got rid of their medical programs entirely when they legalized recreational or adult use cannabis. Other states like Oregon left their medical programs intact. The medical programs now have fewer people in the medical program because some people say we don't want to go through the trouble of getting a medical marijuana card, we'll just let it expire and then buy at the local dispensary. But the states that have left medical intact typically have lower prices for medical marijuana and they don't tax the medical marijuana because it's seen as a medical substance, whereas they tax the recreational or adult use cannabis. So the products within that though, we're still in a very nascent stage in the, the industry where there isn't a huge amount of difference. There's some data that shows that people in the medical sphere sometimes trend more toward edibles and oils and concentrates than people that are using recreationally because a lot of them are there specifically for an ailment rather than for the recreation of it. But there's still just so much overlap between recreational and medical that we haven't Separated them out into this is pharmaceuticals and this is, you know, like whiskey you would buy at a, a liquor store. Um, there is one FDA-approved medical marijuana substance, and that's Epidiolex, and it is just CBD. Which is what CBD is. Oh, I, I butcher the name, um, cannabidi- cannabidiol, which is a non a, a non hallucinogenic um, oil that comes out of. Cannabis. There's also THC, which is. Oh, now I'm now I'm lost. tetrahydra.
0: You're doing good. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> I just call
1: it THC. I should be better at pronouncing these. Um, but CBD and THC are the two most knowns. The two most known cannabis oils. There are a hundred cannabis oils that we haven't really approached yet. That we scientists are just starting to. Research into other types of CBD and THC. THC also even breaks down into THCA and then THC Delta-9. So there's the science on cannabis. People think they might know everything about cannabis, but even scientists will tell you we're only scratching the surface of what is known about cannabis from both a plant perspective and from a medical perspective. But a lot of the... um, Some some of the medical programs Some of the medical products are mostly CBD, and that's what was legalized under the, or not legalized, but removed from the Controlled Substances Act under the 2019 Farm Bill. So hemp or CBD, you might see it in 7-Eleven. I just flew out of Dulles two weeks ago, and there's CBD lotion for sale in the Hudson News. Uh, You'll see them in CVS and Walgreens and Costco, and there's CBD products all over the place. Technically, none of them are really legal because the FDA has not issued guidance on how CBD is supposed to be used in lotions, in food, in things like that. But the FDA has not been prosecuting anyone that is not making medical claims about CBD. So if you just put it in lotion, you say I have CBD lotion. The FDA has not been prosecuting those people. If you say my CBD lotion is going to cure all your back pain, then the FDA has been coming for those people. So medical versus recreational, CBD versus THC, it's all a very gray area. People are approaching it as if it's very black and white, clean cut down the middle on these. But those rules and regulations and that line between the two are constantly changing. And they're also different in every state.
0: I want to discuss what's happening here in Washington on Capitol Hill. But first, do you know the history of marijuana, its origins, and why it's different from other tobacco products?
1: Yeah, well, the United States has a really long history with cannabis, especially with hemp. Um, Virginia, Kentucky, a lot of these sort of mid-Atlantic states have a really long history growing hemp. I actually saw an image of uh, Mount Vernon, George Washington's home, where they were growing hemp in the 1700s and the 1800s. But in the early 1900s, um, marijuana became connected, and I don't know all of the exact specifics of this, but it became very connected with a racism toward Mexican immigrants. That's one of the reasons why when you read law, on Capitol Hill, marijuana is spelled with an H. Uh, people are very confused by that, but those a lot of those laws were written in the early half of the 1900s, and marijuana, the term was kind of used as a derogatory term toward this thing that Mexican immigrants used, and it was used to paint immigrants from Mexico and other Central American areas in a bad light. And it started with some of the states in the Southwest actually um, make, criminalizing it. And that slowly worked across the United States until they finally just criminalized it and added it to the Controlled Substances Act overall and made it federally illegal. And so it's a Schedule One drug on the Controlled Substances Act. Um, there's five schedules. This is kind of this confusing thing that... I hope everyone can understand. The schedule is what determines um, what happens to that drug. So there are a whole set of laws that say if a drug is Schedule 1, you're prosecuted for this much time. If a drug is Schedule 2, you can use it for these things, but if you use it for anything else, then you'll be prosecuted, If it's all the way down to Schedule 5. Schedule 1 includes heroin. Um, Cocaine isn't even Schedule 1, but marijuana is Schedule 1. And so it was placed up in the top, which means a Schedule One drug has no medicinal value, no medical value, and the highest chance of abuse or harm. So addictiveness. Um, there's the studies and the science on whether marijuana has addiction properties are still. I'm not going to say yes or no because there's still a lot of research being done on that. There, but compared to something like nicotine, it it does not compare to say nicotine in terms of addiction and so having it at schedule one there's a lot of people that say one it has medical purposes we're seeing those you approved epidiolex which took that part of cbd off the controlled substances or put it lower on the controlled substances act but they're saying this having it up here at schedule one is not where it should be so that's the whole argument right now so the there's a bill on capitol hill that would take it out of Schedule 1. But the history of it is that it got put up at Schedule 1. The background of it was inherently racist. um, And that was in the early 1900s.
0: So let's break down what we're seeing in Congress. And and let me take two key players from Colorado, Senator Cory Gardner from Kentucky, Senator Rand Paul, leading proponents of legalizing cannabis and marijuana. What's their argument?
1: Well, they're actually the two perfect senators to pick in the Republican Party because they're coming at it from different perspectives. Cory Gardner is one of the few Republican senators that comes from a state that has legalized cannabis. And since his state was one of the first to legalize cannabis, it has a very vibrant cannabis market. And it's important to the state's economy. It's also important for attracting attracting tourism. So he's representing his state's interests on Capitol Hill. Whenever he works to get a cannabis bill passed Rand paul is very different his state has hemp but his state does not have cannabis legalized recreational cannabis he's coming at it from a libertarian and a state's rights perspective which is another element within the republican party on capitol hill Um, The Judiciary Committee, for example, in the House has a lot of libertarian-minded Republicans. And when I've talked to Republicans on the Judiciary Committee in the House, they've expressed a lot of desire to also change the United States' marijuana laws. So those are kind of the two angles coming from the Republican Party at marijuana legislation.
0: Where is it in the Senate? Where is it in the House?
1: In the Senate, we have the Safe Banking Act, which passed the House um, by over two-thirds majority back in late September or early October, and that went to the Senate. It's in the Senate's banking committee, Um, Chairman Mike Crapo, who comes from one of only three states for uh, post-farm bill that are in compliance with federal law completely regarding and, cannabis.
0: And I realize this is in the weeds, but why the banking committee?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it is a banking bill. Ultimately, it's a finance bill. It's creating um, better loopholes for cannabis companies to or to use banking services. So right now, banks are federally insured, which means that they, cannabis is still federally looked at as drug dealing So if you are a large cannabis company, you are federally a drug cartel. And drug cartels cannot get banking services because of issues like money laundering. And so banks have to fill out an enormous amount of paperwork in order to serve a cannabis bank proving or sorry, a cannabis business proving that that business is under compliance with the state. And they have to do they have to be checking in with that business all the time over the year. It's not like you or I would walk into a bank and say, I'd like to have a bank account and you go through an initial paperwork process and then you have a bank account. They have to keep checking in. They have to keep submitting paperwork. They have to keep showing that they are licensed by the state and that they are in compliance with the state laws. And then often they also have to pay to have the bank account, Um, small businesses, small cannabis businesses around the country. So what that would do is it would It's not going to solve the problem completely, but it would reduce the amount of paperwork. It would reduce the amount of um, potential harm that could happen to the bank so so that more banks will be willing to offer services to the cannabis industry. And there won't be hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash sitting around in safes because people have to drive two and a half hours to the closest bank that serves their business. So they only go once a week or once every other week. People can also pay their taxes more easily. There's a lot of states where people still have to set up a time with the state tax board that they're going to come by and drop off their $300,000 in cash and taxes, which is a a public safety hazard to be carting around $300 in cash and taxes. Um, So it's a banking bill, ultimately. It just is for the cannabis industry.
0: So do you think we could see federal cannabis legislation that would legalize it across the country? Is there enough support in Congress to do that?
1: In this Congress, I don't think so. Mostly because Mitch McConnell, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, has said that he would not bring a legalization bill to the floor. I think that I would never say never, because things can happen in Congress that um, there's always the chance that marijuana could be used as a bargaining chip for something else. It could be used to try to resuscitate a Cory Gardner election in Colorado. Um, the president could decide that maybe it was something that Congress should focus on and he could ask. The thing about marijuana in Congress is that there aren't a lot of people who deeply hate it. There's just also not a lot of people who deeply love it. So that kind of puts it in this place where, you know, it it could get in. It could get put in something. It could not get put in something. Full legalization, I think, is still a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, I, there's a bill right now in the House of Representatives called the Moore Act that would deschedule marijuana, so it would remove it from... Uh, Schedule 1 on the Controlled Substances Act, and it would do some other things like expunge records and provide grant programs for people who've been disproportionately impacted by the fact that marijuana has been illegal for so long. But that bill, one, has to pass through seven committees before it even comes to a House vote. And then there's still some moderate Democrats that may not be maybe for descheduling, but not some of the expungements and some of the criminal justice reform social equity programs. It's No one's really going to pass just a flat descheduling bill anymore. The time for that has passed. If they're going to deschedule it, they're also going to include expungements and social equity. And so that makes it even harder to get on some you know, libertarian minded Republicans or
0: moderate Democrats. Let me add one other layer to this debate because one of the the leading health stories of this past year has been the issue of vaping. How does that play into the debate over cannabis and marijuana and legalization?
1: I haven't seen it playing really heavily into the debate on the federal level. Um, not yet. It has had impact on the state level. There have been states that have obviously um legalized or sorry, there have been states that have obviously cut back on vaping. um it's definitely become a big political issue, but there's a few voices on the anti cannabis side saying this is a reason we should not legalize, and there's a few voices on the pro cannabis side saying. This is the ultimate reason why we should legalize this and regulate it because most of the cannabis related deaths were coming from illicit market cannabis, not regulated market cannabis. But neither of those voices have really been able to break through to make a huge swing on the conversation at large.
0: And, Natalie Furtig, I read that there is a Congressional Cannabis Caucus in the House of Representatives. Who are the key members?
1: The key members are Don Young of Alaska, David Joyce of Ohio, Barbara Lee of California, and the founder and also co-chair of the Cannabis Caucus is uh, Earl Blumenauer of Oregon.
0: As we begin a new year on this issue, what are you looking for? What questions do you think uh, you're going to try to get answers on all that we've talked about?
1: Well, I want to know if banking is going to pass or not. Um, I think that's a really uh, important step for a lot of people in the industry where marijuana has been legalized. And then I'm also really curious about where the MORE Act is going to go. If it's going to progress further through the House, um, there are seven committees that have to hear it or decide to waive jurisdiction on it. It's only passed the Judiciary Committee so far. So there's six left. And then I'm also watching veterans legislation really closely. It's sort of something that doesn't get talked about as much, partially because veterans don't have as many lobbyists and they don't have as many reporters specifically covering them at major news organizations. But veterans legislation is the second most popular legislation in the House. It has... over 80 co-sponsors in the house to create a better pathway for researching marijuana for veterans. There's been a lot of initial studies that have shown that it could help with PTSD and with pain management, Both, especially the pain management has led to a lot of opioid use among veterans. And so there's a pretty bipartisan group of legislators that are pushing for um, veterans cannabis reform legislation, and it's been in the the House's VA committee for a couple months now. So we're going to see if anything moves on that.
0: We're also in the midst of a presidential election in the Democratic field or among Republicans, including the president. Will this be an issue that will resonate?
1: So I've actually been surprised at how little they've talked about it, because I know California is an early voting state now. This is a huge issue in California. And also criminal justice reform is a big issue in the election and in politics in general. And marijuana is very tied into that. So I've been surprised. Cory Booker brings it up every debate. But a lot of other candidates have, have issued plans on it. We actually just had a a, um, a Politico data analysis on, on the plans. It's a, a cool chart that our team made but it hasn't been a main, a main talking point. And that in past elections, it's never been a major issue, you know, the main voting issue for people, but it has shown to create much larger turnout when it's been on a ballot in a state, a lot more people come out to vote, even during a presidential election. And so I'm kind of waiting to see if it gets talked about more i know that there are candidates like cory gardner in colorado that cannabis is a big issue for him and it's something that he sees as a way to keep in an, an increasingly blue state behind him as a republican but i, I you know I, i've kind of i would love to say that yes this is a huge issue but i i watch every debate waiting for it to come up and it seems to come up once and sometimes in a a joking way
0: Well, let me conclude uh, with what I thought was a fascinating analogy. And admittedly, I didn't know a lot about this issue. I've learned so much in talking with you. But in terms of the changing views of Americans, and you brought up the analogy of gay marriage and legalized marijuana, why is that that changing? What's happening in our society that we're becoming more open to these two issues that at at many points in our history were taboo?
1: I think... I know with marijuana, there's a direct correlation drawn between a state legalizing medical marijuana and then legalizing recreational marijuana. And I'm not a social scientist, I'm not a psychologist or anthropologist, but I think a lot of people see medical marijuana come into their state, see that hell doesn't all break loose, and then are more okay with legalizing it. Maybe someone... Someone's dad starts using it for their back pain or someone has a, uh, you know, a friend who has a child with um, epilepsy who's using it for medical purposes. And it kind of just has, as more places legalize it and it becomes more commonplace, it, people seem to be more okay with it and more comfortable with the idea of it. I can't... I again, I'm not a social scientist. I don't know that I can say that this is how gay marriage was as well. But I can kind of see that, you know, if if you see people around you who are in committed, loving gay relationships, that seems less scary than if you weren't seeing them. So if you see someone that uses marijuana, and they're not a monster, oh, it's okay. This kind of process of if something i mean it's it goes back to representation right the whole concept of being able to see someone like you or somebody doing something and seeing that it's okay and it's normal
0: and acceptable
1: and acceptable normalizes it and i think that you know whether not saying whether or not that's okay or that's supposed to happen because that's not my position to say that that is what's happening um through the united states
0: if our listeners want to follow you on social media how can they do so
1: Uh, Natsfert Uh, N-A-T-S-F-E-R-T It's the first half of my first and last names
0: And your work available at politico.com slash cannabis Natalie Fertig, Thank you very much for stopping by
1: Thanks for having me
0: And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPEN radio app on the web at cspen.org or wherever you download your favorite podcast We thank you for listening